Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, a podcast where a comedian talks to a relationship therapist about all issues that relate to everyone, particularly young people in the modern world. This podcast is sponsored by Crush Organics CBD Oil Crush with a K. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got gummies. They've got CBD oil for your pets. They got bath bombs. It's all the rage. Okay. If if Putin had some CBD oil, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. True. So get some CBD oil. CrushOrganics.com. Use the code Neil for forty percent off. NeilDan.com if you want to come see me live in Sydney, Western Sydney, Newcastle, or Melbourne. Uh, NeilColhatka.com slash podcast if you want to ask us a question or send in a shout out. Um, follow Eliza on Instagram, Eliza Joy Wilson, and follow this podcast on both Instagram and TikTok, Sex Sales Podcast, all one word. All right. How you doing? Very happy now that I'm looking at your little pink lights. That makes me feel very calm and just love it. Suits you mm. too. How do you Does feel? It? Yeah, feels good. Good. I, I don't mind the pink. It's pretty good. Especially because our topic is about love, a certain type of love. I think it... If you can call it that. Well, yeah, it's, it's still love, I suppose. But um... yes, we are going to talk about incest. I don't know if... Uh, Pink is really appropriate. I don't know if there's any color that's that's really probably appropriate red. For, red flag. Uh, incest, yeah. That's a, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that's a red flag till you said it. You know, <laughs> I thought that's pretty normal. Incest. <laughs> Your sister watching this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and she's getting turned on by the pink. <laughs> so. Been an incest. What made you want to talk about this topic? Because you've said a few people have actually asked yeah, about this one, have they? Yeah, people keep asking me to talk about it. Um, mm. So I thought it's, you know what, it's juicy. People always want to know about it. Um, I've actually come across it a lot in my work. Is it? But <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's interesting. It's taboo. It's whatever you want to call it. So, and okay. interestingly, a lot more people are coming out with their, like, you know, incest stories about falling in love, being like, please accept me and my whoever's relationship. So a lot to unpack. What uh, angle are you going to take on it? Because this is not something I have any experience with, thank God, nor is it something I uh, uh, am particularly knowledgeable on. I know a very little bit about some things I've read in, in books about, particularly about how humans used to operate before uh agriculture and before monogamy it was a lot harder to actually avoid incest when you're mm. in a tribe of 50 people but uh are you gonna are you gonna are you from the school of thought now that's saying you know we do need to normalize it and we do need to sort no. of accept it okay absolutely <laughs> not basically okay. any form of incest doesn't have positive outcomes long term so i don't support it <laughs> or i don't okay, think we good normalize to normalize it yeah all right, so this is not a podcast supporting incest, and sure okay, we'll, we'll, what is your uh, knowledge about incest? Why do people do it? What? Where does it come from? And what are your thoughts on it? Well, there's a lot of different types of incest, which is interesting, and um, there's family incest, there's covert incest, there's covert. Oh, wait, okay, so you got a, a lot of these I wouldn't know. What is covert? So incest? covert incest is also known as emotional incest. 
So we have the sexual okay. incest yeah, where people yeah, are engaging in like sex is usually between the most common category is a father with his daughter or siblings. It's very uncommon for a mother and her children to engage in sexual incest. However, emotional incest is quite more common for a woman to engage in that with her children where they it's basically where you don't engage in any sexual acts or anything like that. They may not even feel like there is any sexual tension um, or desire. But the parent is subconsciously engaging that child in standing in as their partner. So it usually happens after divorce, loss or grief or whatever. And then it starts out like, oh, you're you're the man of this house or you look after your mom so good and you always look up, you help me and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, do I look sexy enough in this dress for my date? And then disclosing too much information about their romantic interests, being a little bit too close for comfort. And we see it all the time on Reddit where people talk about like my crazy mother-in-law does ABC and hates me because I date her daughter. Whether or not that mother-in-law is actually sexually attracted to her son is a different question, but it's the covert incest is very, very evident where she's like, I, he's my boy. This is my boy. Like, you can't be near Ugh. him. And he Yuck. fulfills all her emotional needs and she goes to cry on him and holds him. Like, if you watch the show, I Love a Mama's Boy, which is on Stan, um, it's a good show. Uh, very frustrating, but basically every single relationship there is covert incest. So it's very interesting if you want to get a good example of it. Well, sounds like every Indian mother-in-law ever. So. <laughs> yeah, which a couple of them are on that show. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, d- I have heard of uh, emotional incest. I uh, first came across it from a book by Neil Strauss called The Truth. And this is the guy who wrote the infamous The Game a couple mm. of uh years before that, but he talks about how he discovered the fact that his mother essentially had an emotionally incestuous relationship with him and that uh, that created a lot of his avoidant tendencies and mm. his need to, or, or at least his desire to, to, to sleep around and avoid an emotional connection because he associated an emotional connection with being controlled and being uncomfortable and... Uh, that is what can often manifest with um, particularly sons who have had an emotionally incestuous relationship with their mothers. They can then become very avoidant and uh, not want to engage in a commitment. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a lot of young men, let's be honest, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's more pronounced in men who have maybe had that mother that was a little bit too close. So mm. how do you find that? Where's the line then? Because uh, how do you know as a mother when you are crossing... That line, I'm sure it would be different from family to family and what some mothers think is inappropriate, other mothers might think is appropriate. So what are some sort of broad guidelines to, and I'm sure a, 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 a term like emotional incest is probably subjective as well. There might be some people who think, no, that's just a mother having a close relationship with her son uh, versus some people thinking, okay, that's taken a step too far so what's the line in your opinion yeah it is a bit tricky to define and i think that you know there are some clear examples in that show where for example one of the boys or men is a model um like a fitness model he's got the abs and she says like she loves that her friends fantasize about her son and find him sexy um and she hates that he has a girlfriend she hates that he doesn't want to spend every single 40 hours a week with her and she comes and cooks for him. She comes and cleans for him. She wants him to buy her. She He goes out for his girlfriend's um, 
birthday to buy her some jewelry. And then mom talks him down saying, it's too expensive, don't spend that much because she chose a thousand dollar ring. So he buys his girlfriend like a, a, a bangle that's a couple of hundred dollars and then buys his mom diamond jewelry that costs three times as much. So little things like that where Jesus. it's like, I basically am pretending you're my husband or you're my partner, but I'm not sexually instigating anything or may not be sexually attracted to you. So I actually dated someone who um, had this relationship with his mother and he knew that she was like that and it made him really, really uncomfortable. And it was never in like the never broached or was any inclination of a sexual underlying or whatever, but she was divorced. She was really lonely. So she spoke too openly about, you know, her experiences to her son and my ex-boyfriend and he had to carry her emotional burden completely. And he, she would talk to him like, Oh, I've dated this guy and he just, he doesn't satisfy me. Like, what should I do? And those kind of things. And then he'd hang out with her and she'd engage in this very like intimate cuddle and holding him and just stuff like that. And what was really interesting about him and which I've seen in other men as well that have this kind of relationship with their mother is, well, my ex-boyfriend had put in boundaries in place. So he was like, I'm not going to answer these calls. I'm not going to be available 24 seven, blah, blah, blah. Had He had discussions with her about it not ever saying covert incest, but saying, you know, this makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to hear these details about your sex life or whatever. And um, obviously she was highly offended by that, but he was trying to put boundaries in place. But what I have seen is that one, they go that way that you were talking about before where they are avoidant of all emotional, like nurturing behaviors or two that they are instantly drawn to that so when i was with this guy he loved and was obsessed with like me being this kind of like nurturing mothering type of person he loved that i always looked after him and he would it was really interesting to watch like years along after i'd done a lot of you know study to see how and look back and see how he would often regress and act almost like a subconsciously childish in some of his behaviors in order to get me to mother him. Like, come on, enough enough is enough, put this away. Or come on, like, let's go do this, that kind of stuff. Or like, oh, baby, you've had a tough day. Like, he'd put his head on my, like, chest and I'd stroke his head, which is, like, normal in a relationship. But I think that that link made it very, very distinct to mm. me. So not that it was problematic, but... It was just the way that now he's, this is how he seeks love. Um, and he had mummy issues, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so, yeah, super interesting, but yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And I wonder with the, you know, the higher rates of divorce and, and more single parenting now, I wonder if uh, the, that's a rising phenomenon. That would yeah. be very interesting to look at statistics there. But then... Of course, you have direct incest, which is uh, nothing really makes your gut, yeah, c- whatever the word is, curdle. Not more than <laughs> that. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so, wh- where does that come from? What makes a man want to uh, engage in sexual activity with his own daughter, especially if they're 
I mean, there's never a, a, a justifiable reason there, but especially if they're underage yes. um, yeah. and, you know, it, pre-puberty and, mm. and that's a child. Like that's mm. pretty much as uh, deplorable as you get. So where does that come from? Have they had a history of abuse generally or is it just just that guy's just has a little element of sexual attraction there and he just has no morals at all and acts on it? Where does this come from? Well, some studies would actually say that it comes from the incessant watching of incest porn, which is one of the highest watch porn categories, but we'll get into that later. That's only a small percentage of people that claim it to be that. The reason why it's not caused by some predisposed factor or a life event, although sometimes if you've been sexually assaulted yourself and you're within your family unit, you're more likely to engage in that with your own children. That's, that is factual. Um, but sometimes it's just the fact that it's, it can be that she looks like a mini version of your wife um, or partner. It can be that it's that she's pretty prepubescent, um, may have those kind of tendencies, and she's, he she has to obey him. I know. It's really, really fucked up. And unfortunately, the studies show that, you know, first of all, it is usually most commonly a father to his daughter and then secondly a stepfather to their stepdaughter which I guess is different and they're not related mm. still bad but both categorized as also sexual abuse so it's important when we're talking about this we are talking about sexual abuse because 99% of the time it is underage girls engaging in this um as well um and obviously that would be sexual abuse and unfortunately there's a really good woman I wish I remember her name I'll try find it but she's on TikTok and she gets I've never seen someone get so much um, hate from the internet because she talks about how she had this incestuous relationship with her father, which was sexual abuse, um, as as young as, you know, six years old, obviously not consenting. But because he was such a loving and kind person, she was groomed by him to engage in it and enjoy it and participate and seek out those behaviors in him. So that's kind of a part of sexual assault that isn't actually talked about very often is that sometimes your body responds or sometimes you seek it out or sometimes you actually enjoy it. So I think it's really important, like I will always teach my children that not all bad touches will actually feel bad. Um, And so she kind of talks about the ramifications. She's now like 40 years old and that her mother knew about it and blah, blah, blah. So basically what they show is, like I said before, that for any case of incest, even those that are adult incestuous relationships, the long-term impact has shown severely detrimental impacts on their socialization, their IQ, their emotional development, their sense of well-being. Like it just, there's never um, a positive outcome for this, unfortunately. Uh, It's very sad. At that age, you're so dependent on that father figure. Yeah. And you look up to him to form your perception of the world and your values and so it's very easy to manipulate someone yeah when they're at that sort of nascent uh phase of f- formulating their their mm. version of normality and and reality and uh yeah that's as pretty much as uh, abhorrent as you can get yeah. in this day and age i mean i don't yeah. see it's not much not much worse you can do uh mm. what about brother sister and sort of well first in in many cultures first cousins marry and it's quite normal now we do know that is that increases the likelihood of any offspring developing um 
mental defects there so it, it should be really like even though you can't use the excuse of culture when we know scientifically that's just really you, you, you know you're playing russian roulette with your child there yeah. uh yeah and even in if well our friends our family friends i'm not related to them they're cousins and they married and they decided to, they had children and yeah one of them does unfortunately have down syndrome and it's just my oh, friend i'm not wow. trying to shame people yeah. who like you know there's nothing wrong with that but if you're going to participate in behaviors that are going to increase the chance of your children developing that that i yeah. think should be shamed and, it should you know, yeah. what are you doing it like, absolutely what, is yeah and when you look at any of those documentaries about people that are like accept my love for my cousin or my brother or whatever the thing that people can't come to terms with is well one yeah it's an incestuous relationship but two please don't have offspring because of the risk to that child is so high like having severe developmental or physical um disabilities so i think that's what people struggle with the most that people selfish yeah willingly will do that um i think that cousins it's not you know more understandable but in a sense it is in that you're not like with them every single day it's someone that you're probably familiar with it's it's still wrong and it's still you know illegal in most countries um but like you said it's very common brothers and sisters is interesting um and this one is particularly interesting because in most cases it's actually consensual um for both parties so it's there's no kind of explanation as to why it happens other than someone breaches it usually or finds it sexually attractive the other person finds enjoyment out of that and it kind of just spirals out of control and it's shockingly common and you i see it all the time Mm. on tiktok girls making videos with you know receipts and photos and texts of their ex-boyfriends having slept with their sisters um and uh, i see it all the time it's really disturbing and i actually have seen i don't know their name but they're viral all the time these two tiktokers that are male twins um identical twins they're like 20 years old and they are viral and famous because they instigate or indicate that they have an incestuous relationship so all of their tiktoks they're like kissing or thrusting against each other and ripping each other's clothes off and stuff like that but it's and people just love it they are lapping it up it's crazy how like popular that is and i'm like god imagine these boys viral millions of followers all their friends and family would have seen it like it's it's weird jesus yeah yeah, I mean, if you're because you're in such close proximity to a sibling there, and then you know, as you're going through puberty and things, if you don't have those those parental and societal influences that tell you this is wrong, don't do it. I can see how you know you could and be playing and wrestling one day, and then start yeah. thinking, "Wow, this feels good," and then you just keep doing it. But that's where you you, you need strong yeah. parents and and a, a society that clearly says, "Look." Don't do this. Yeah. This is wrong. Exactly. Um, and I think that's where it often starts is in early teenage years when your hormones, like a, you're so fucking horny as a teenager that anything will do kind of thing and you start something and then it progresses from there. There's actually a subreddit um, called Incest and I definitely do not recommend it if you are 
easily disturbed because it is highly disturbing and people in this subreddit seek advice on how to start an incestuous relationship and most of the posts it's really disturbing of a dad writing about his daughter and you know wearing her wearing the little shorts around the house or whatever should I start this relationship or either that or a 16 year old boy talking about how he's seen his sister going into a shower and now he can't stop thinking about her and he wants to start this or a 16 year old boy wanting to instigate something with his mother um and people in the comments go both ways half the people are saying this is what worked for me and the other half are like saying you know this is you need to seek support you need help this is a psychologist that you can reach out to or a helpline or blah 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 yeah it maybe it it begs the question like is it that uh, you know, if if you just let humans evolve naturally and there was no culture or society, is it something that we're just programmed to seek out whatever whoever's in our vicinity and and occasionally find them sexually attractive? Because then coming back to I suppose pre agriculture pre monogamy when people were in tribes, you couldn't you didn't know who. First of all, you probably didn't know who the biological father was. It was a tribe that raised a baby, and and as a result, you just. You didn't know who you, you, it was likely there were cousins in the tribe that you were fucking. And and even then, like you were not that long ago when people lived in small towns and villages, uh, I'm sure it was very common to to, um, have offspring with your second, third, fourth cousins. I mean, it's still common today. I mean, that's the joke in Tasmania or, or whatever, but it's at what, at what level of, I mean, every human can be drawn back to, you know, this one ape i think in ethiopia but um at what point does it then do you think it actually becomes like what level of cousin do you think it should get to before it can be deemed appropriate again oh god i feel i don't know anything about cousins other than first cousins as soon as it gets to second cousins i'm already confused but i think that you're right in that it actually like the our attraction to um our own genetics can go as far back and as in that it's occurred at some point in your family history or in your family line and in some cultures and tribes like you were saying they were encouraged to mate within themselves to keep the gene line strong they want to repeat these genes and I remember seeing this video about this man um it's a painting and he's got this like hideously uh I shouldn't say that but deformed chin and he they were the family was known for being incestuous as well so he was married they were marrying cousins and sisters or whatever and then the paintings show a lineage of over like a hundred years where this chin has just been carried throughout history basically and by the time it got to the youngest the most recent the child was so deformed because of all the like you know incestuous but the the point was that they wanted to keep like this predominant chin and the red hair running throughout the family so that's why they were saying well we made the red family i know (laughs) that's worse than the chin (laughs) yeah so it's um really interesting and i think that also culture has quite a large um play in it as well like i know i used to work in a house of uh for children of uh victims of forced marriage which were mostly girls between 13 and 17 and this one girl who was 15 would have to she was of a obviously a particular culture and in Sydney and um, was born in Sydney etc and when her mother didn't feel like fulfilling the needs of her father 
it would be her duty as the oldest child to step up and fulfill those needs. So she was continuously being raped by her father, etc. Which to me, you know, that was one of the first cases as a client I ever worked with. I was so angry at the mother. Like, how would you say, oh, I don't feel like it tonight, knowing that your daughter then has to fulfill that duty um, as, a, as a young child. She was doing it from the age of like nine. Um, really, really sad and disturbing. But it, in her culture, that was very common. It was the expectation. And it was the same for her friends. It was the same for her family. Um, they all did mm. it. No one talked about it. But it was just this: you, what your father wants, he gets, no matter who gives it to him. Well, I wonder how a culture like that even came about. What, yeah. what, I wonder what benefit to society that, I mean, unless it's just about men. That was in this to, culture. To, just in having their, yeah, having their needs met and then that's it. The men somehow were in that evolved to be, yeah, yeah uh, actually beneficial or something yeah. in war times. But that's a perfect example where you can't just have this uh, mantra of let's just respect all cultures. It's It's not, there's no such thing as, uh, an objective yeah. uh, moral truth there. It's just all relative based on where you grew up. No, that's just objectively bad. And <laughs> I'm sure you can like measure the um, pain that would cause certain uh, people who have grown up in that in that situation and that's where that's... Mm. I mean, again, like I, you'd have to sort of actually do that measurement, but my strongest inclination is to say that is not a part of a culture that should necessarily be respected that's just really really backward and and dumb and uh anyway <laughs> um where well i guess where can we go from here what do you what well, do the viewers want to know when they message you about this what do people want to understand about it what do people want to know a lot about of people incest? ask about the porn like why is it okay such a predominant and common and high porn category. And I tried to do some research on it before and I actually couldn't find anything as to why, um, you know, it is other than it's taboo, it's interesting, it's got attractive characters and people think it's inappropriate. So they enjoy that. But what I did find interesting is that, you know, how like step-siblings and step um, and stepmother and whatever, stepfather are such a high another really like common porn category and that these that along with incest is actually the most common in um certain states in america or parts of america and alaska (laughs) um and apparently it's it's because they actually have the highest um common mixed families uh blended families of you know stepfathers and stepchildren and step siblings so it was really interesting how that was a part of their life and that they're engaging in this pornography and is that to reach a need or something it's very interesting and well, <laughs> disturbing something something happened on the home pages of uh, all the porn sites a couple of, i remember it was maybe five or so years ago and suddenly there was step sibling porn all over the home page yeah and that, but that and I, and then I asked my friends and it was happening to everyone so it wasn't like they were trying to target me <laughs> and, and, and I don't know I'd friend. never searched that out <laughs> yeah. I've never really okay yeah I've watched it a few times like everyone yeah. has it's all over the homepage but it's where did that come from it seemed like very immediate it wasn't like it sort of gradually seeped onto the homepage but you look at I'm sure if you went onto pornhub.com there'd be at least 20 to 40% of the videos on the homepage 
or at least 10 to 30, I don't know, it, it depends, but there'd be a, a, a noticeable amount of uh, step-sibling, particularly step-sibling, yeah. uh, step-sibling porn. Yeah. And they must be doing that because a lot of people are searching it uh, or there's some coordinated effort to normalise it or something like that, but I just don't. It, it really seemed quite immediate. I, I remember, I think it would have been maybe 2017 or because if, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have thought, oh, but maybe it was yeah. uh, very popular back then, but people only people who, who sort of searched it out were being exposed to it. But I, I wonder, I'd, I'd like, like to see the comments of anyone else who, I mean, I know I say you shouldn't watch porn. I, I've been pretty good with that lately, but look, uh, we all do because it's so tempting. And do you also get a lot of this step-sibling stuff on the home page yeah and what do you think about it because i mean you can make the argument that if they are step-siblings it's not biological incest there but and it doesn't sort of it's i still cringe at it and think it's pretty gross and 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 think it's morally wrong but i, I think like direct siblings and direct cousins it's more are like disturbing. way more dis- worse yeah, yeah that that's yeah. really disgusting but um, I agree, and I think I've no. I wonder where it came from. I mean, there's definitely interesting. an evolution of porn, which I actually had to watch when I studied sexology. We watched like porn throughout the ages. <laughs> yeah, throughout it's obviously getting much more. Yeah, and you know, intense. In the seventies or late seventies, it was the most taboo thing was um, outdoor sex, like outdoor. Yeah. Porn and it was the everyone was obsessed with watching it because it was so scandalous or whatever. Then it moves on to lesbian and gay porn, and then that's not to be enough, so it moves on to something else, and then it's kind of moved on to siblings right. around that time. Um, when which actually correlates with the time where we had the highest divorce rates about 10 years ago, um, where it started that's when we started getting the stat that 50% of marriages and a divorce blended families became a lot more popular. I also think the fact that it has, um, you know, the at least, I guess, the siblings in, in this category are usually both wanting to engage at, or there's that resistance. It always starts with a no, no, we shouldn't. And one of them is seducing the other, which people seem to find really, really arousing. Um, and, and, and the fact that at least they both are consenting and usually adults or uh, adults pretending to be late teens or whatever. But then even then, I think it's evolving on from that and moving on to more um, intense and taboo things like um, gangbangs or bukkake or anal fisting. I don't know. Um, just things that people always seem to need more and more and more of in order to get um, that same level of curiosity met as well as sexual satisfaction. Because I think that that is the, mm. the key to porn and getting you hooked on it is not just how it sexually satisfies you, but doesn't engage you in that curious, like curiosity factor um, is super, super relevant to people that produce porn because they want people to be intrigued and they want to be like, what is this? And the first time they watch it, people are usually like, what the hell? And then they love it. So... I don't know. It's um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the times because now blended families are so normal and common. Is it going to increase or is it going to decrease? But I think also, actually, I forgot to mention that there is a, a final kind of category of incest, which is interestingly uh, the most interesting to me, actually, and shocking as well. And it's called genetic sexual attraction. And basically what it is is children that have been adopted or whatever 
and as adults reconnect with their biological family, they initially start by like really desperately and deeply yearning the years of physical, you know, affection and connection with that person that they were, um, they weren't able to access growing up or whatever. And then as soon as they meet that person, when that level of intensity is like that instant love is met, that it almost becomes, they can't control and it becomes sexual. And it is shockingly common. Um, There's heaps of support groups to, to support adult adoptees that have been meeting their parents and experiencing sexual feelings. And there's a lot of documentaries about couples that say, this is what's happened. Please accept us. We're a mother and a son or whatever, or a dad and a daughter. Um, or, or even wow, this doesn't, isn't really the same, but like people that are cousins and dating and they're so drawn to each other, but they only find out they were cousins later on. That's a, that's a whole other category and it's own like incidental incest. But yeah, it's really interesting. Wow, I wonder where, what the maybe the underpinnings of that. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. There'd be something to do. You could you could have all sorts of theories around that. I mean, you've you've sort of longed for. I'm sure in most situations the adopted parents are wonderful and do a fantastic job. But you've probably always longed and yeah. yearned to understand and and learn more about your biological parents and your direct genetic lineage. And yeah. then when that is finally brought to you, the the feelings would be so overwhelming that maybe you do potentially, you know, unconsciously you confuse that with sexual attraction or it actually manifests in sexual attraction. But yeah. that's um, that's an interesting one because I'd imagine these people wouldn't, because if it's an adult falling in love with their parent, I mean, the parent would be quite old then. We'd probably be talking about parents in their 40s, 50s, 60s at least there. And Well, yeah, there's you know, a couple of predisposing factors so the what's interesting is that the more they look alike the more likely they are to engage in an incestuous relationship and the closer they are in age that's also more most likely because think about children that are put up for adoption there's a high percentage it's because their mother gave birth to them they were teen parents or whatever Mm. and working in the field currently of, you know, adoption and and foster kids and things like that. What I do see is that the foster children or children that are being adopted consistently their entire childhood desperately seek out the approval of their biological parent and they want they want that love because they were either neglected or abused and they want to feel that love and it's hard for them to understand completely that they have zero fault in what has happened and they do internalize it they do feel some shame around being removed and ending up in care and things like that so you can't break a child from wanting the love from their parent and I do know from the parents perspective as well that even after they've put a child up into adoption or care or that child gets removed from them that love and yearning for their child never goes away they think about their child constantly they call me constantly how how's he going what's happening here like they they're so invested in their lives of their children that I can almost see how it makes sense as adults for them to be like hold this obsession with one another for so many years and curiosity and thinking or desire to see them that it can just become too much and develop 
in that way. Like, you know, Freud would say this is just, <laughs> this is his whole thesis of like wishful thinking in the Oedipus complex. Like this is his whole life yeah. work, I guess, like that exact scenario. Um, that being said, I've never actually seen that ever with um, the children I work with once they become adults. I've never witnessed that myself other than you know fathers that have been sexually abusing their children um wanting that but not never the child in my experience but it happens a lot in america <laughs> a lot of these things seem to happen a lot in america so i know <laughs> uh, particularly in certain states of america yeah. so. and these states claim to be the most religious as well so you know a lot of uh hypocritical speak versus action going on but yeah. uh Oh, all of this is very, uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to say on this topic. I don't, I don't, I just wonder what uh, to do about it if you can never fully avoid it. I, I, I do find it interesting when you think about the fact that when people lived in tribes uh, and assu- assuming they didn't necessarily have a monogamous partner, which most of the evidence points to that we weren't monogamous in, in those, in tribal situations, that humans wouldn't have been able to tell the link between the biological father and and the, the child. Mm. And there would have been, without a doubt, uh, a lot of incest, mm. uh, whether that's direct parental incest or at least close, mm. closely related. So mm. that begs a lot of questions. I mean, is it sort of, well, I don't want to use the word natural there, but is it is it something that, we've actually evolved mechanisms to avoid or is yes, it something that we've sort of yeah. culturally avoid, yeah. we've sort of culturally put in place uh, mechanisms to to avoid because, as we've said, in certain cultures it's actually encouraged yeah. and uh, we now, now with science, we know that it, it, it does cause those uh, potential defects and things. But I've also heard that uh, when you replicate genes, when there's sort of a... a a repeat of uh you know d- duplicates within the child it's it's much more likely to cause um abnormalities and uh for the gene to m- mutate and it's likely to cause well as i said the defects but also things like cancer and and that but yeah that's why we're uh, I, I can't remember where i read this but we're sort of naturally inclined to to find people who have uh a very uh, a, as different as possible a genetic structure as us quite attractive and that kind of goes against some of these other things where they have sort of genetic in- genetically attractive well, incest and things but yeah. it comes from the pheromones i heard so yes, we're yeah. so out of touch with our scent but you smell if you actually smelt uh everyone you would find the scent most attractive of the person who has the, the opposite genetic immune uh, yeah, the, yeah the opposite immune system yeah. that's right yeah. not just the genetics yeah. um and that's because uh, that's, your that's flaws or what you lack in your immunity they have and strength and what they like you have so if you merge together you create the the strongest healthiest offspring but what's i think is interesting about this is that although we are attracted to the opposite in terms of um our makeup and I- I- immune system we are actually attracted most commonly to people that look like us because we want to keep our genetic offspring um, significant. There's heaps of studies. And for example, if you were to procreate with with a a white Australian girl or whatever, 
you're mm. actually more likely, like you, um, more likely to be inclined to people of many cultures because your genes are going to be dominant genes. You know, dark hair is a dominant gene, dark skin is a dominant gene or whatever. So you may be more attracted to every single culture, whereas I you know, subconsciously may only be attracted to particular, I don't say I am, I'm not, but whatever, like here I am with another boyfriend that's also same skin color as me, brunette, like <laughs> looks like we probably could be related to some people. Um, there's a really good uh, Instagram group. It's called siblings or siblings or lovers or siblings oh, yeah. or, mm, yeah, or one. boyfriends or something like that. And it's people, couples that look so similar to each other that you're not sure if they're related or if they're um a couple uh yeah so it it is a thing that we we seek out people that actually look like us as well because then our offspring will continue to look like us yeah yeah sorry i you you're 100 correct there it's not the genetic sameness that we're uh sorry the genetic uh opposition that we're attracted to it's the immune of um the difference in the immune system there but um yeah, that's very interesting. Does that mean so people with features that have that are a dominant gene are more likely to have a, a vast array of what they may be attracted to yeah. compared to people who? So does that mean people with blonde hair and blue eyes, which are both recessive genes, um, are much more likely to go for people with blonde hair and blue eyes? That that seems that seems to ring true, doesn't it? Yeah, but, they're more likely to. It's not always, um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, they're more likely to. There's an interesting then, study you can see. Uh, actually, I think it's on Netflix maybe. I'll try to find it, but there's a show about this where they measure the attractiveness of people and they wear glasses and it sees like who they look at the most, um, who they engage with. So they put all these singles in a room together and basically it came to conclude that... Um, everyone was attracted to their own race um but above anything else white girls with brown hair were top tier for basically every male and then it was someone that looked similar to them as second tier (laughs) interesting because i've seen yeah similar studies like that where it's either been white women who are at the uh, top of the uh, you know races of attractiveness or asian women yeah um and then with men it's usually white it's almost always white men, yeah, um, and like Asian and Indian Indian men, particularly Asian men, I think, yeah. are, are right at the bottom. Even Asian, there's a there's a sort of running joke, and that could be something we transition into if you if if we uh, want to continue the yeah. podcast. Where a lot of people have actually messaged me, talk about why don't Asian women like Asian men, and this is apparently a big a strong phenomenon, yes, particularly yeah. in like. For Asian uh, men and, and women in, in Western society, when there's a sort of a, a, a broader array of races available, if you want to put it that way, uh, Asian women don't tend to go for Asian men, yes. and the statistics do back this up. It and right. yeah. it causes a lot of frustration in within the Asian male community because, I mean, to, to a certain degree, you, you would sort of question that and get a bit frustrated and think, well, hang on a minute, like what? We're attracted to you. Why aren't you attracted to us? Yeah. Uh, now the theories are that yeah, look, Asian men aren't don't necessarily have some of those kind of masculine features that uh, white men maybe have, or or sort of black men and things. And 
no, I'm not just dancing around the issue here. I'm not just talking about penis size. I'm just talking about also like (laughs) facial hair and and just bone structure and and things like that. And there's definitely a a sort of a bit more of a pretty boy look that tends to occur with Asian men. But then the more, I guess, social constructivist argument is that, well, the beauty standards come into it and generally in sort of leading male roles and the 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 the, the uh, attractiveness standard for men is usually that sort of tall dark handsome hunky white guy at the end of the day um, and I'm sure it's a combination of both going on there but I still think it's 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 really interesting I think even when you take uh, Asian women who who grew up in their respective home country they find white men in particular very attractive and then even in Asia they find uh, if if I've heard if you go there as a white man, it's just you oh, can yeah. basically get laid whenever you want, and yeah. uh, it's it's interesting because there is that argument that says okay, it's it's internalized white supremacy or whatever it may be, or it just could be that there's some kind of biological attraction that maybe is politically incorrect to talk about, but does exist, and um, I, I find it very remarkable and interesting, and it doesn't I. The last I looked at these statistics, definitely Indian men are very low on that dating hierarchy, but I don't think Indian women avoid Indian men in the same way Asian women tend to avoid Asian men. So very interesting phenomenon there. Ultimately, you'd need to speak to an Asian girl about this, but uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? There's a show on... um there's an episode of Four Corners that you can that's on YouTube about this, and they actually bring in white people that date Asian people and say, "Why are you dating this person?" And the Asian women that are on the show, which is really interesting, say it's not. They never mention whether maybe it's that they're not consciously aware of it, but they never mention he's better looking. And often the men that they end up with, these white men or whatever, are not at all good looking. But she, they say. It's that kind of the cultural difference. So they're like, you know, naturally as a Japanese woman, I have to clean. I have to look after the man. I take his shoes off. I cook his dinner, blah, blah, blah. That's the expectation. She says, I come to Australia and I meet this man and all he does is talk about you are so amazing. I can't believe you do this for me. Thank you so much. So she says back home, that's the standard. In Australia, it's not the standard. It's it's a it's a win. So she has someone that finds that amazing in her. Where she was saying like no Asian man would consider <laughs> that to be amazing. Right. That's just the bare minimum. So she felt really appreciated and loved. That was her specific. But then on the other hand, I also read um, this book, and it was oh, I wish I knew the name. I keep referencing these things I can't remember the name of. But it's written by um, a Thai prostitute and she talks about what it is like being a prostitute in Thai, how they all start from, in Thailand, um, how they all start from the age of like 13 or 14. And basically every single Thai girl, she says, regardless of whether or not you're a prostitute, will always target white Western men because they perceive them as being wealthy. Um, and there is a huge appeal in that. So she, she, um, the girl that actually wrote this book <laughs> talked about how she would basically married six different men over the period of 10 years or whatever, because she'd meet this man. He was, let's say German. And then she would assume he's rich because he's white, go moved with him, find out he's not rich 
Move back, find the next white man. Move with him, assume he's rich. Turns oh out God. he's not rich. Move back. <laughs> and she did it like six times. And the funny thing was she talked about how hundreds of other women in Thailand would do the same thing and they would all just randomly reconvene in Thailand after, you know, four years of this marriage <laughs> that Christ. failed. Uh, but they all, they continued to repeat the pattern over and over and over again. And some of them had 10 white boyfriends at a time. It was like the most ideal thing because he would be rich and he will look after them and their families. Well, that's really interesting. On, on that first point about the Asian woman saying that the, the men, I guess, have a more equalist view when they've yeah. grown up in the West, I wonder if, because it still applies to Asian men who have grown up here and sure, they may uh, still yeah. have a lot more of that traditional culture with them, but I would also... Uh, guess far less than someone who maybe was born and brought up in in china or in japan or in uh thailand and also there's plenty of other uh women who have come from very patriarchal cultures who don't exhibit that same uh displeasure with men of their own race in fact they actually prefer men of their own race more so than um any other men if if I remember the statistics correctly, it just seems to be Asian women who really detest Asian men, which it's, I mean, it's sad, but it's also uh, whether or not this is, a, is actually a problem. I, I just find it kind of, I've, I've heard the frustrations of many Asian men. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I do, I feel for them to a certain degree, uh, but I just it's also bizarre because it's not, you can't exactly blame the Asian women either. And I wonder if, you know, the West having been a lot more, uh, having had, you know, successive waves of feminism here and sort of understanding um, a different uh, paradigm when it comes to gender roles, uh, especially sort of younger, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Western, particularly white men are going to have a different uh, expectation of their, on average, of their girlfriends and wives than, say, that same generation of men in other cultures. And as a result, a, a, a those cultures may be attracted to these men, but also the men here then, uh, rather than going for the the Western woman who maybe expects and demands a bit a bit more on average, they then get this sort of That's woman who's exactly grown up in a traditional culture yeah. who is a bit more, uh, is softer and, and submissive and, and fulfills a bit him. more of yeah. that, yeah, of that traditional role a little bit. So it's, you know, it's, both ways there's a benefit yeah. there and then yeah on average white well white black and then i guess more polynesian men are, are taller on a, i'm just saying this on average and sort of have a larger broader build and and a more you know masculine in that sense and that can play into the physical attraction for sure mm. uh and then i guess you got asian women are generally more petite mm. and perceived as more sort of submissive and pretty in that sense and i think it was black when they do these studies in america it was black women that were seen the as lowest, the, on average the less yeah. the least desirable because yeah, that's right. on average they have a bit more of that i guess what would be considered masculine features uh and that's where you get there's this sort of a bit of a cultural phenomenon as well i, I hear this in a, with a lot of black comedians and things how they're always the, the black women are always getting mad when they see uh, a black guy with a white girl yeah uh, because they know it's so it's accessible because for a, a black man is generally actually quite high on that dating hierarchy. Again, these are all averages. There's always exceptions to the rule. Um, and so they sort of see it as like, oh, you're dating outside of the race and you should be dating us. Yeah. But then there's also 
there's also uh, black men who are saying like, well, why are you blaming? Like, that's got nothing to do with me. Like, I, don't, I shouldn't feel shame because I'm attracted to this white woman and, and I have a really healthy relationship with her, which is also a fair point. Mm. Uh, so, mm. um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 interesting. I mean, like being attracted to your race is definitely different to having an incestuous relationship, but there's there's a similar there's a likeness there in that you're attracted to something that's closer to you genetically yeah. than um, what would, you know, what a different race may be. I think that cultural connotations play such a huge part in that, that doco I was talking about where they tracked who everyone was attracted to. It also showed that women, uh, black women, were rated the lowest and a lot of the men were black men and they never said anything about the appearance. They all commented saying black women are this, they're too loud, they're this, and all these, you know, comments like that where they had associated um, their their black skin, despite not having conversation with them, with certain personality traits, um, and I think that that's what happens in in these Asian communities as well. And I was watching a doco once, and it was talking about the difference of um, Asian women in different communities. So Japanese women um, were steering away from Japanese men because Japanese men had such high standards and they had to be stick thin. They had to look like models. The, the skin had to be perfect. And they were always mm-hmm. competing against each other for Japanese men. Whereas they went for a white man, they didn't have to compete. Um, they could just get him and <laughs> which was interesting. But then for Chinese women, they're more likely to be um, more likely to be the aggressor or um, you know run the household or whatever, and they would just kind of abuse the men, saying you're weak, you're so fucking weak, like man up and this and that, and then want to pick someone that they perceive to be more masculine, which is an older white successful male. Um, so really interesting how that difference. And I think that also when you mentioned before, like, well, you know, what about Asian men that are, that grow up in Australia? Um, it's, it's one of those things where we all make stereotypes based on someone's appearance and we can't avoid it. But also sometimes I think people that share a, a similar culture or the same culture will almost revert back into their cultural ways. Like I especially see this in the Muslim community or Arabic community because I work with a lot of girls that were Arabic and the, the guys would date around and sleep with a million white girls. The girls would date around, fuck all the white boys. But when they dated someone of their own culture, they didn't sleep together. Their um, dating was, they had a courtship that was basically they had to be supervised in dating. They didn't drink, they didn't engage in alcohol. They had a traditional wedding and were engaged in two months. So like, they, all the men would say, mm. like, I have to get it out of my system while I can because as soon as I meet a Muslim girl, I'll be married in three months. <laughs> um, yeah. The, so it's interesting. Particularly the, the Muslim community here, yeah. they seem to have this real, uh, they're very tied to their culture there. Yeah, in, in, which and is And it's great. a very different, yeah. uh, well, some of it's great. <laughs> some There's also the cousin thing, but, like, then it's very much, you know, it's it's a very different yeah. socially conservative way of, of courtship compared to what occurs yeah, here in the West. Yeah, it's super and, interesting. And, but it can also create a lot of problems because they don't really, you know, you can get shamed from the family, but then also you're just not sure what you're supposed to do, what is sort of normal. And then, yeah. like, now the ones who grow up here in the West are very different to the... The fob ones who are, are sometimes seen as sort of a bit cringy, but also <laughs> romantic, and will stick to those that 
ethical code a lot more than the ones here. Um, and the same thing does occur to a certain degree within the Indian diaspora here. Um, I was going to say something based on what you were saying. I've completely forgotten here, but I think I was going to talk about, yeah, look in Japan and, and a lot of these Asian countries, the birth rates are just yeah basically zero. So yeah. there's clearly maybe, yeah, if the men do have the standards are too high, they've got to... Got to sort that out. Or the yeah, the be women, gone in the women are finding years. it hard to find partners in Japan, especially. And there's they have yeah. little um, like markets where parents will go and advertise their daughters, and other parents or single men can walk around and look at the photos and whatever. And then some of these girls will literally morph their face, putting prosthetic noses on, doubling the size of their eyes, like taping their chin in to make it look really petite, like doing all these things in order to come across attractive so that they can get a partner. So it's a massive issue in, in Japan, apparently. I mean, this is just what I see in documentaries. Who actually knows? But yeah. Well, it's a very ironic consequence and it's a similar-ish thing is occurring here in the West where that when, when we've sort of had a lot of these... Uh, much more sort of liberal attitudes towards dating and, and a lot more women have entered the workforce and yeah. ha- have the freedom to, to sleep around and, and, and date casually. The pool of available men, at least from the women's perspective, but also just sort of generally speaking, because you're talking about it wasn't that long ago where uh, almost all men had so much pressure to get a good job and build that, have that be the provider and, and do all these sorts of traditional things. And now that's very different but what's occurring and i I read this uh article that talked about it based on this study is that it's actually forcing a lot women to actually have this uh, a lot more competition amongst themselves for what could be described as the sort of suitable mates and that competition manifests in them wanting to post more sexy selfies having to amplify their their boobs and their ass and their assets and actually maybe engaging in sex a lot earlier in the dating process than they otherwise might necessarily be comfortable with because they're so desperate to find that appropriate man. And and I think yeah. Chris Williamson, um, who's another great YouTuber who talks about this sort of stuff, was having a conversation with, um, oh, it might have been Jeffrey Miller, and they were saying that when there's more, when there's an abundance of uh, women in a given dating you know, some people don't like the word market, but let's just call it yeah. environment, whatever it is. Uh, it it sort of the the strategies and the norms uh, move towards the male ideal because yeah. they're competing for a smaller group of men, and it actually yeah. becomes, ironically, in 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 what we can all sort of say is is one of the mo- is is a society that's actually made huge advances in yeah, the freedom and the sexual freedom for women and yeah. it's actually forced them to compete in a very sort of yeah. sexual shallow way amongst Male themselves gaze. and yeah. ironically uh when you have uh an abundance of women in a given sorry an abundance of men in a given environment there it it goes the other way and then they conform to de- female idealistic dating norms and there's a lot more longer term relationships there's a longer courtship process and they did this study based on i think certain uh i think sort of universities or or just they they found some environments here in the west i know you know it's hard to exactly define this but they found environments where within that given location uh there was just a lot more men that were sort of single and, and available and willing to date then there were women in that dating pool and 
That's uh, that's remarkably ironic, isn't it? it and is, a similar yeah. sort of thing has happened in a lot of these Asian countries where they're actually very, they're very uh, sort of progressive in their attitudes towards uh, almost all the women work in a lot of Asian countries, and it's getting that way in India as well. And and then yeah, funnily enough, they have more pressure on them to conform to those male beauty standards. Yeah. So how uh yeah, just no one would have been thought that would have been the consequence i know hey. imagine the studies that will come out you know in 10 years from now about how i guess tinder and things like that have influenced attraction or dating and things like that my um my friend went on a date on on thursday with a guy and she is like this girl is a bombshell right she's just a blonde bombshell to me she's the peak woman super smart super successful super sexy um if you're a man above the age of 29 <laughs> and you're in sydney is that the female days or the male days me. <laughs> both every man loves this woman um okay. she's also okay. really funny anyway she went on a date with this guy on thursday and they really really hit it off um she really liked him he really liked her and he was sending her all these they didn't sleep together she they just had a kiss which was fireworks and um he afterwards sent her like really nice messages saying like i had such a good time like wow that kiss and blah 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 all this stuff and um and then he he also was saying like i want to take you out on the weekend like saturday night let's do this like i basically it was like oh my god we've met we had the best connection i can't wait to see you again then Friday night happened and she never heard from him again. And all we could speculate that actually occurred because it's not like, you know, he had sex with her and then left. They didn't even, they only had a kiss um, in, you know, just outside the bar or whatever. The only thing we could think of that, he had a date on the Friday night and picked kind of the better option, which I see, that's just speculation, but that happens so frequently as well where people will set up multiple dates in the week or in the couple of weeks and then just pick the one that they like the most. And I hate to be such a cut dickhead whoops, and say this, but I did that as well where I date, was dating casually like one or two guys and then happens, for though. weeks yeah, and then I met I Adrian that. and ghosted them. I didn't ghost them. I actually explained to them I've met my soulmate. <laughs> He's vegan. Um, but <laughs> but that like imagine just being so blindsided by that Um so and anyway, my advice is at least if you're dating someone or you're dating multiple people, please don't ever give the impression that you're exclusive. Like be really honest and upfront being like, I want to still explore other people or I'm still dating other people. Don't don't like give that indication that this is get, heading towards a relationship if it's not your intention to because it just fucks people up so much. And then the, the kind of emotional impact it has on them afterwards as well where it sticks with them, they can't trust people and blah, 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 it just goes on and on and on. Well, I would say if you, particularly Tinder, but if you're going to date in this day and age, you got to just assume, I think that should be the default, that the other people are seeking out, you know, are going to be dating other people and, and that's just, you know, you're in one big um, love island essentially. <laughs> uh, everyone's kind of seeking out who they want and, yeah, I mean, I look, I, I did that when we were, when I was, uh dating as well like you go on multiple dates and you organize a different date maybe once a week i wouldn't do multiple in a week that seems like a lot but i just don't have the time really but or maybe two max but (laughs) 
yeah, if someone uh, you could have a good date with someone, and then and then you go on a date with someone else, and you think, okay, I'm actually better suited with this person, and unfortunately, yeah. you got to either. Well, you got to just tell them. Yeah, you should tell them. Um, and yeah, it's not sometimes it's not easy, but I'm sure it's. Look, I'm sure I've been in that situation where maybe someone hasn't directly told me, hey, I've met someone better essentially, but uh, I've definitely been ghosted and, and sort yeah. of something that seemed special petered out and I can only assume it's because either they're just not willing to say, hey, I don't see you as a boyfriend or they've met someone a bit that yeah. they find a bit more exciting and, and better and that is just like that look, that is the... Um, that is dating today and you just you're better off accepting it rather than sort of resenting it and then still going on dates but saying, uh, dating sucks. And look, yeah. it's just what it is now. It's what's happened. It's not any one individual cannot control the entire culture we have around dating. We can all talk about it and express our opinions, but you're better off sort of accepting it and trying to find the positives in it. I mean, this was not possible not that long ago. You you, you probably had a lot more pressure to marry younger and didn't didn't necessarily get to date around and so there are positives people don't necessarily realize because the grass is always greener. But mm. uh, there ha- there have been studies already that have shown like a lot of remarkable trends based on um, the sort of social appification of of dating. And it's as I've mentioned in other podcasts, there's there's a lot more there's a, there's a sort of smaller proportion of very desirable men, um, and then those men tend to just take advantage of that or at least over them yeah and then they'll sort of have a lot more casual encounters and um the apps even amplify those profiles because they want people to stay on the app so they want to make it seem like hey look at all the good men out there when what they're doing is they're taking this sort of the algorithm is is figuring out that hey these are some men that are swiped on a lot and we're going to just rotate particularly in a big city when you have what I can only assume is hundreds of thousands of, if not millions of people on these apps, you can you can do that. You can make it, you can actually just take 10,000 of them of the best possible ones and sort of prioritize those yeah. a lot. So it makes people feel like, oh, wow, look at all these good people yeah. out there when what you don't realize is every other woman is getting those exact same men and they, I'm not going to say they basically have their pick, but I mean, like, I don't I think about my friend that I talked about on the last podcast and I, you know, the the world he lives in is so different to the average man. Mm. And, you know, a lot of men will get kind of jealous at that, but at the same time, it's not like he yeah. can't control that. Just, like it just it just him, happened. Yeah. That's just life for him. And uh, his mom was a uh, supermodel uh, and she's got those, you know. The genes are those strong. Genes. <laughs> yeah, the genes are very strong. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, lucky him, but... <laughs> Look, this is not this kind of utopia that, again, I know I say this almost every podcast, but um, man, this really is, we really um, misstepped when I think we thought, hey, these apps will be so cool and you'll be able to date different people and it'll be fun and it's not fun. The algorithm uh, works, like it, it's spooky how how much they put people on your feed, like you said, that either going to be more attractive and, you know, in that area or that align with you and what Tinder knows or Hinge or whatever knows that you like. And me and my two um, best mates, when I was on Tinder a lot longer than they were and I was dating quite a bit back in the day. And still to this day, they keep matching with people 
well, one now, actually, the other one's in a relationship, but one keeps matching with people that I've dated already. And it just happened so many times where these my two friends would go on a date or talk to guys and they'd be like, I know Eliza, like, uh, I, I went out with her, like, uh, how is she going? And this kind of thing, like, I, it's happened at least, wow. like, at least seven, eight times. Um, yeah, and, but and in a big city like Sydney, that yeah. statistically, if it was just totally even, that statistically would be virtually impossible. Yeah. But what's happening here is this must be a it's not like very I highly sought after profile. Yeah. So uh, these men are clearly, you know, yeah. prioritised in the art. And if, you, you know, if you're working on an app, you really just have the profit incentive in mind. So you're trying to get people to stay on yeah. there as long as possible. And it's, it is, look, I don't, tend to take the um the more economically left view on these sorts of things but like this is something as sort of intimate and sacred as our romantic relationships are being uh defined by the profit incentive here and that can't be healthy for us as a as a society That's so it, yeah uh, I, don't, I don't know what the solution is because i'm qu- quite hesitant of regulating big corporations which is what they are now yeah. but I also can't see how this is healthy for society overall and and you know it's not even that fun for the for the for the people who are getting like all those matches all the time what happens is it does actually commodify and you know makes you feel like there's no such thing as someone special because you see this kind of yeah you know, you'd get this but similar sort of behavior and and just you're constantly being lauded over and it can actually well some people would say it's sort of it it encourages psychopathy uh, because you know you're getting an unlimited pick you're basically having a harem of of women or men there and um, yeah and then you do have this almost uh, what's his name chris calls it a (laughs) sexless underclass of men (laughs) which uh who are just not even their profiles aren't even coming up on the feed and you know what do you do then like if you if you are trying and you could even be putting an effort into your profile but if the the algorithm is not prioritizing your profile what do you do eventually you give up and then it actually it dwindles the that dwindles the pool of men on these apps even more so there's even more competition for them and uh it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy almost it's if you are like in this cohort of men that almost can have their pick in a big city you what incentive do you have to to be really uh you know loyal I'm genuine sure, yeah, or, yeah exactly i mean i'm sure a lot of them are i'm sure yeah. not all of them are total dickheads or whatever but you know it's so easy to not be that there's no pressure to to actually uh because if you can then just you know f- fuck one of them and then and then boom like the next night literally have another one i mean it's crazy and look, I, again yeah. i'm not I, like with the last one i'm not trying to be on some high horse here like there was definitely a period in my life where i was probably participating in that sort of behavior and it was fun and i and i just yeah you know i it was it was a lot of fun and um yeah. i just don't think that's good yeah, for society it, though yeah no, i agree this makes me so mm. grateful for adrian because when we met on hinge and he had it for like a week and i was literally the only person he matched with or spoke to <laughs> so there was no competition Thank God. Um, well, there you go. Look, <laughs> for any other women listening, look, it sounds like... Uh, and Adrian look, isn't a hideous found... man. He's a good-looking yeah. boy. There <laughs> so you go. So maybe don't... don't. You look at a great profile and what you don't realise is like that's a guy who's probably been... And that might, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but uh, 
the perception of what, and, and this goes both ways, but like the perception of what's normal is being completely manipulated by these apps and really yeah. what they're putting out there is, I mean, it's normal. I'm not saying they're completely unrealistic. This is just like the top 20% of profiles in terms of who gets swiped on. So it's it's yeah. it's normal. It's just like the sort of upper echelon of what normal yeah. is, uh, but you're not getting in a, a, a realistic uh, uh, uh example of of what the actual dating pool is like you're getting you're just getting the like best version and that can really skew people's perception especially if they've been on there for years and it sucks i'm surprised speeding speed dating isn't more common for people our age like i feel like that's the best the best thing you could do because you can overlook looks when you pick up someone's vibe and you're attracted to someone's vibe. So if you saw a photo of someone that gives you almost nothing other than are you initially attracted to this look, but how often do you see like really, really funny guys get the hottest chicks, even if they're not good looking because they make people feel good and they're humorous and they engage well. If you just saw a photo with no bio and you didn't know that he was funny and charming or whatever, you probably, well, you might swipe left. So that's why I think Try speed dating someone and get back to me how it is because I don't know mm. a single person that's ever done it <laughs> unless they're and over also, 40. <laughs> there's something very different when you meet someone in person and you get yeah. a, a, a better gauge of who they are. I mean, it's still you got two minutes there and, and you know, in the whole yeah. initial period of dating, you're, so everyone's putting on a bit of a facade. But yeah. essentially what you're seeing on social media is people who have good graphic, well, not graphic design, but good like pinterest skills and can put yes. together a good profile like that's which writers. i guess is important yeah. but yeah i'm sure i'm surprised there hasn't already been firms and small businesses that are like hey we'll do all your tinder photos we'll do everything for you just you know this is the fee um i think this I'm is sure my psychic tradition tinder is going to change or there'll be a new profile or app or whatever where instead of photos you have video like introducing yourself where you're talking or something so someone can get that vibe on how you, I know Hinge is doing it now with the kind of voice are, memos, which yeah. is awkward, but. Um, yeah, it's just so, it still feels cringe. so <laughs> artificial and, yeah, you know, you're not there face to face. But what will happen with uh, not that soon enough is they'll uh, involve VR. And so you can oh, match someone and immediately go on a date with them. Um, and that, So scary. Yeah, uh, in 10 years, I think, assuming this technology uh, continues at the same trajectory, that the way we experience dating will be a thing of the past completely. And it almost be, it may even be looked back on with nostalgia because everyone will be meeting with their bloody Oculus headsets. And yeah, yeah, and and then what really is scary is that if they can actually uh, create virtual sex in the way that you you genuinely feel like you're there i mean if they can connect to those same you just marry someone in the in brain a country oh my god I can't. well you do that or you could just be like literally having as much i mean it'll just exacerbate the amount of people having uh and it probably will uh really cater to again like that top echelon of i think both men and women who will just continually have casual sex with whoever they want because you can just get, okay cool we're matched you're both hot put on your Oculus 10,000 in 2034 and boom, you have sex all in the space of like half an hour and then you move on to the next one. Like that. You don't even have to go out in public and meet up or even have 
So then no one will be like, oh, he doesn't have a bed frame. Well, who cares? Because you can like create your oh own virtual bedroom. Oh, my God, stop. This bedroom. is too anxiety provoking. <laughs> <laughs> Let's stop this right here. Enough for having Well, you don't down. have to. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah we're, well, maybe. But like right now we're both in. Yeah. And thank God, like you don't realize. Yeah, it's, it's so much better. A good relationship is always the best. But also <laughs> understand it's very hard. And yeah. uh, do you have any... Uh, final thoughts on incest or what well, we then talked about i'm curious to see um how the people's response to this um podcast so please leave some comments with um your thoughts and yeah that's all what about you uh yeah me too um <laughs> i'm very yeah very i'm a keen observer of how the dating market continues to evolve mm. and uh, that guy, Chris Williamson, uh, his channel is Modern Wisdom. He talks about this a lot and he has, he's the best on this. He he has some really uh, interesting voices and yeah, Jeffrey Miller, a, he's an uh, evolutionary psychologist, I think. He sort of frequents a lot of the podcasts I like. So he's someone to listen to and the, um, both Brett and Heather Weinstein are, are great. They talk about this sort of stuff a lot. So mm. there's some really good podcasts out there if you're interested. Yeah. Uh, and Quillette, the uh, that's an online magazine, often covers these sorts of topics. Uh, so if you're interested in reading about it as well, yeah. Uh, other than that, um, thank you for watching, guys. Come to my show, neildan.com, if you're in Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle, or Western Sydney. And I just realized, you know how, of course, with these podcasts, we actually zoom in a lot and crop. We might not Maybe see your lights because I didn't the see them at first until I changed my. Oh, that's yeah. super awkward. Well, maybe uh, at the start, Steve could just show when I talk about them. He can just cut out to the wide yeah, momentarily. On, but if he doesn't, then look. At least I got enjoyment in, in out of it. In last podcast and this podcast, you just heard I was talking about these lights that you didn't even get to see. So uh, that's awkward, but. You have to come watch a full video of mine. Next That'll time, just frame your face with it. Okay, if you if you let me put them right in, close there. They'll come in there. There you go. That's what they are. Just Ooh, imagine them amazing. wider and, and look. It made me go dark. <laughs> if that, even darker, if that's even possible. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, if you are an Asian woman, give an Asian man a chance, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs>